The world is changing like never before. In the last 300 years, a new model of control has become prevalent in every facet of human life, the corporation. Already the corporations and the billions upon billions of employees that serve beneath them have become the cornerstone of modern life, a system that can stand separate from monarchy, separate from democracy. But with this new power's meteoric rise, questions rise with them. If a company is to rule, how should it? What responsibilities must a company undertake in the face of the power it wields? And to whom does it owe such responsibilities? To answer these questions, we will take a look back at the many great writers, poets, philosophers, and rulers to speculate and debate where exactly the corporation lies in modern life, and wherein lies the greatest return on philosophy. Hello, hello, folks. We are the Angels Investment Group, and welcome back to Return on Philosophy. This is episode two, where we'll be talking about Plato's Philosopher King and the relation to how a corporation should aspire to act within the society. I am joined, as always, with Abdul Ahmed. Good to see you again, my friend. How are you doing? Good to see you as well, Dan. So, I want to start with a bit of background on Plato himself. He was an ancient Greek philosopher who um, was born between the years of uh, 428 BC and 423 BC. And he was basically one of the first famous written philosophers of our time and kind of built a cornerstone of Western philosophy as a whole. You know, his mentor, Socrates, was famously a philosopher who never wrote anything down. He had words of wise wisdom, but he would never write a single thing. And so Plato would kind of attain fame as his second student for writing down a lot of what the man said. Um, you know, thoughts on justice being how one should conduct oneself within the society. He would write many things, and he would even go on to expand on Socrates' beliefs. And it would culminate in Plato's most famous work known as The Republic, in which Plato would map out what is the ideal society, how should people conduct themselves within a society, and basically how should one be, what should they aspire to be, what are the virtues of good, and whatnot. And nowadays, he raised a very interesting point, and a lot of this stuff is resurfacing, you know, with Stoicism and whatnot, a lot of these older belief systems are kind of coming back in the face of a changing world. And one thing he has kind of brought up or brought up in his work, The Republic, was the idea of a philosopher king. Who is the ideal ruler of a society? What should their beliefs be? What should their desires be? What, what kind of person should rule this kind of world, you know? And what he posits, simply put, is, like he says, a philosopher king. A man who is philosophically inclined, or a person who is philosophically inclined, and has a desire and a pursuit for philosophy, a desire for a simple life, and someone who upholds common virtues of good and whatnot. And so to take those ideas and to put them into a modern day situation, the corporate body as of today is still, you know, within 300 years, it's still a very new thing, you know. It's still a very new institution of power. And to this day, people are still figuring out how should an institution like this conduct itself, you know? It has very, very quickly with companies like BlackRock and all of, you know, Elon Musk's holdings. These are very powerful institutions that have kind of, they wield power, but they wield power perhaps these days simply for the pursuit of um, shareholders 
and perhaps stakeholders. And basically, a lot of companies exist to just make more money, you know? And that's kind of just what they do. They just do this and they go and they go and they go. And that's kind of the only responsibility they need to adhere to. And so what I would like to posit is looking at like Plato's philosopher king, is it possible that we take the ideals that the man posits and apply them to something like a corporate body? So first of all, you said about how uh, an ideal king should be, right? Mm. And if you want to implement that into a corporation, there is a way to look at it where you can do that. But ultimately, you do have to understand that a business is set up to make money, mm. right? Mm. And the few companies that you mentioned, for example, BlackRock, um, they do have an influence in the political sector where they do have an influence within what rules and regulations do get passed. And that mm. is because over, you know, they own over 80% of the S&P 500. Yeah. And uh, a lot of those companies uh, and corporations are involved in funding um, election and political campaigns. Mm. So there is a direct um, link between these corporations and those who are involved in making decisions on which impacts everyday, you know, the everyday man. Mm. So obviously, you know, those philosophies of people, you know, a, a man should be of a certain criteria, uh, should have a simple living and should view the world in a specific way is good because that would allow them to make decisions considering, you know, the average person, mm. right? Mm. But at the same time, I do think that the average average norm is a direct result of an individual's choices yeah so i don't think you know people in higher positions who run you know corporations that make a lot of money and have a lot of influence uh, within the people around them and you know who they choose to fund in polit political campaigns is their choice mm. um and you know for them to get to that point, they have to have some sort of philosophy anyway. Yeah. They have to have some sort of character to be able to make decisions which allow them to get to that position. Mm. So, you you know, in theoretically speaking, the ideal world, it would be where there's, you know, a, a group of people or a single person, man or woman who ru who, who rules and has this stoic, philo you know, that, that philosophical mindset that Plato had. Mm. Um, but, you know, it'll be difficult to kind of achieve both sides because to you know get to a level where you 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 have influence and power you have access to resources and capital mm. you have to almost be selfish mm. you have to almost not pursue the simple life now mm. for example elon musk you know he does live in a fifty thousand pound or something like that mm. know, very very mm. he, he doesn't own much uh, whereas Jeff Bezos is, he, you know, he took down a bridge so he could fit his yacht through it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So I think, you know, each individual is different and their purpose is different. Now, Elon Musk, right, he's not owning anything. He's living a simple life, not for the purpose of being a simple man and relating to the everyday person because he has an ulterior objective, mm, which is to mm. achieve certain goals within his life, you know, yeah. with, with the companies that he has and their visions and their plans. His purpose to be like that is for that, mm. right? So it'll be very difficult, you know, to, to, to um, create a society or find a leader who would fit that, you know, fit that criteria. Mm. Um, and I don't think it's necessary and I don't think corporations should have to body that. 
Yeah. Because at the end of the day, each individual, each corporation has their vision and has what they want to do in in within their perspective. Mm. And if we take that away, there'll be there'll be no need there'll be no niche within business. Mm. There'll be no niche within the top tier one percent of individuals. Yeah. It, it'll it'll really take away from that. But if we can implement this kind of ideology within the youth that's coming up now so mm. they can have a good sense of morality mm. then of course the future leaders of corporations who ultimately have an effect on who are the future leaders of the world because mm. they have a direct influence into that it will you know it, it will kind of implement that philosophy in there because we're educating people mm. about what that philosophy is yeah and you know personally growing growing up in school you're not really taught about plato or his philosophies you're just you're just taught about the history of the world the very basic history of the world right so if you really want to implement that it won't you won't be able to do it in this generation it only be implemented over the course of generations where you teach that teach these ideologies and um you know have that impact so when they come up oops so when they come up they can then um, you know, pursue that message and get, put that message out. Mm. But right now, I I don't think it's a, a thing where you know you should have to expect corporations and leaders to think like that. Yeah. Personally, I do think it's a good thing. You know, mm. good way to mm. uh, approach things. But um, from from a corporate perspective, you know, you have your KPIs, you have your goals, you have your mission. Mm. So you have to think about that as well. And then, you know, you have to also think about you need to strive further because. As a business owner, you, you get paid last, firstly, right? Yeah. And everyone that works under you, you have to think about them as well. Mm. So you can't be completely unselfish to the point where you're not thinking about money at all when you've got people dependent on you. Yeah. So it is, you know, you have to balance the skills. You have to think, okay, where can I be like this and where can I not? Mm. Because you have, there's a lot more to think about than just, you know, being a good person in society sometimes. Mm. Mm. So from your perspective... What does, as of now, in today's geopolitical environment, what does that ideal CEO look like? You know, obviously it's going to be different from case to case, but what are the virtues a CEO needs? So the values a CEO must possess, in my opinion, is work ethic to an extent where they're constantly doing something to improve their organization. Mm. And that's the role that they need to play. Um, and, you know... The role of a CEO and a business leader uh, or, or, a or a founder of a company are sometimes different. Mm. So the CEO will be involved in making day-to-day -day decisions from the top that impact the business, whereas the founder will be the person that's responsible for you know, founding the company and having that long-term vision in mind. Mm. And the CEO is somebody who's going to be there every single day to make sure that everything that's being done from the top level all the way to the bottom. Mm. Um, and that message is being sent across, you know, the, the correct channels. And it just goes back down to, you know, qualities, you, you know, you need to be somebody who has a good sense of direction. Mm. Because mm. if you don't know where you're going, then you're not going to be able to, you know, move towards that direction. Secondly, you have to care about your people. Yeah. Because if you don't care about your people, you're not really going to have anything left to lead. Mm. You know, if you have a firm, um, you know, you have employees, you have partners, you have, you know, relationships with other other businesses. And if you can't maintain those and if you can't keep everybody happy, you're not going to have anything to lead anymore. Mm. So, you know, making sure you have empathy and sympathy for your people is very important. Um, you know, sometimes in business, it can be ruthless. 
Um, and you don't have to have sympathy for your competitor or empathy for your competitor, but for your people, you need to have that there and compassion. Mm. Um, so that's very important because if you don't have that, you're not going to have anything left to lead. Um, and just generally, just the, the few things such as being on track um, and thinking about the actual impact that your business is having on society. Mm. So that is important because yeah. you, know, you, you see a lot of um, issues about how a, a business have a, has has its own carbon footprint mm. and you know the waste that they produce um so you have to think about those things as well because you don't want to be trying to do something something good but at the same time having a significant impact on the environment depending on what business you are mm. you know if, if if you're a business that um deals in logistics and you have a thousand vans that go out every single day mm. maybe maybe you might think about considering getting um low emission vehicles Mm. Um, now electric, petrol, diesel, hybrid, that's a whole different, um, scenario because a lot of electric vehicles, um, the actual carbon footprint that they're pr produced to be, to be made, mm. um, is significantly high as well. So that's a converse, that's a completely different conversation. But what I'm trying to say is as a CEO, you need to think about the implications that your business is having, not mm. just on your own financial progress, but also the impact on your environment, the society around you. Mm. And how you're influencing, you know, you know, the, the younger, the younger generation, the old, whatever generation they may, mm. may be, because now a lot of businesses are online. Mm. Where, you know, we are producing. You know, we're sat down, we're speaking, we're having a conversation. So that PR side of thing is very important as well, yeah. um, because we have to be careful of what we say and the message that we put out. Because although we may have certain opinions, we don't really want to influence people to adapt the same things because not all of our opinions will always be correct. Mm. And mm. there's certain strong opinions that you know we need to refrain from speaking because you know they could affect they could affect our uh, you know our stakeholders, our, mm. sh our, our share prices, yeah, uh, and a lot of different things. So. As a CEO, you have to be wary of all of these different things. Mm. One thing you said that I find I actually found quite interesting, which is this idea that a CEO almost needs to be competitive. This desire to, comp to compete, not just for the benefit of their own company, but for the benefit as a, of the market as a whole, perhaps. Because if, you know, if one company goes uncontested, then it's almost morally irresponsible to let that happen. You, know, you actually have to keep the market competitive to keep it free, in a way. Yeah, I mean, you'll, they'll, end, they'll just end up being a monopoly if you don't do that. But mm. I think once you get to a certain level, and if, if, if it's a company where the founder or the founders are serious, nobody's going to get to that point and be in that position if they're not competitive in the first place, mm. right? Mm. So it's not something that they have to be. It's not, you know, a case of a CEO has to be compet competitive. I mean, if you're looking at it from a founder's point of view and you're hiring a CEO, mm. then yeah, that qu the qualities within them needs to be okay. They need to be competitive driven. Yeah. Um, you know, the, mor the morale needs to be consistent. Mm. Um, and, and if that's not there, they won't be able to keep the business going and it will ultimately affect the markets as well. Mm. Um, personally, I don't think the CEO would think about whether or not if they lose that competitive edge, the you know competition would succeed and they wouldn't really see that as a threat because if they're not competitive, then that isn't, then they're in the wrong place. They need to be mm. doing something else and eventually yeah. they'll get replaced anyway or the mm. business will fail. Mm. Um, so to an extent, all CEOs, all good CEOs, great CEOs will have that competitive nature naturally. Mm. Mm. Gotcha, gotcha. So another thing that Plato mentions 
in this idea of a philosopher king is this idea that a philosopher king should have a desire for a simple life. An idea where the man with the fewest wants has the greatest wealth, you could say. And what do you think about that in terms of in terms of the management of an entity, do you think this idea that having fewest wants would make you the most responsible for a company? Um, in terms of how it would be governed, would it make you the most impartial? Um, what do you think? That's a very good question. And one thing that's very important to remember is you can have all the desires and wants that you want, right? But you have to think about and know that the position that you're in Right. So say, for example, if you're a business and you're 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 generating one hundred thousand pound a year in revenue. Right. And your net is sixty thousand pound, for example. Right. Even if you have a desire to move in to the highest office in the building, you're not going to do that. You have to be responsible um, with the resources that you have available. Mm. But if you're in a position where you have, you know, you've reached a level in your life your business is generating a significant amount of revenue where you have a lot of disposable income, then I don't think that idea of being a sim ha having simple wants and having a, a, the least amount of wants is going to make somebody a better leader or a better influencer or a better CEO or a founder than somebody who does have a simple um, mm. simple thought process. And this goes back to the whole Elon Musk and yeah. Jeff Bezos thing, right? Amazon, mm. probably the greatest company that there is right now in terms of revenue and figures mm. um and jeff bezos you know you can see he's just balling out yeah you know he's got yachts planes everything that you can think of mm. um and you can clearly see that amazon is still up there it's been up there for a long time and i don't think it's going to go away anytime soon mm. so with the examples that we see right now i i don't think that you have to be somebody who wants whose wants and need to be simple to be successful yeah. you just have to manage it according to the resources and the money that you have mm. you know one thing i find quite interesting um i don't know specifically about jeff bezos but i know to some extent elon musk came from a position of money um he came from a, a position of money from his father and one thing i find quite interesting is marcus aurelius of course the roman emperor who obviously he practiced um stoicism primarily but he actually, um, he fits the description of a philosopher king. He fits what Plato talked about. And I find it quite interesting that both him and Elon have this connection in the way that since they both kind of came from wealth, they don't see it in the same way as everybody else. It's not really an aspiration for them because they were born with it. Rather, their aspirations are much more ambitious in terms of the, you know, the things they really want to achieve. Elon wants to change the world. He wants to take people to Mars. He wants to fundamentally change the society. And Marcus Aurelius governed for 20 years under very, very difficult circumstances. And in that sense, he, and he persisted with sustaining his stoic virtues. And it almost, it seems important to me that Elon and Marcus, they never really indulge. You know, they never really indulge in what Plato would describe as something like an animal pleasure, you know, desires for. And of course, the greatest animal pleasure of all is personal wealth because it enables all of the other pleasures to actually happen. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and in that sense, you know, Elon nor Marcus or, at least, you know, especially Marcus, neither of them are traditionally greedy. You know, you, they, you would, they wouldn't fit the description. They don't have a desire for material possessions, a general disdain of wealth. The things they want are at a much higher point. And I find it interesting that people who are born into wealth 
they have this understanding that to some extent, it's not going to fill that hole inside of you. You know, it's not something that's going to solve your problems. And I find it interesting because I don't know whether Jeff Bezos came from the same situation, but you can see from whatever different upbringing he had, he's almost gone the entirely different way. He surrounded himself with ambition. He went to space just because he could, and he turned it into a tourist attraction as opposed to it serving any other purpose. You know, wealth to some extent can be a trap, you know, for those who are not, who do not understand where that road ends, you know. I think with that, it's, if you don't understand where that road ends, eventually you'll learn, mm. right? Mm. Eventually you will learn that, okay, the, tr the pleasures that you're trying to achieve, they're not actually giving you anything at all. Mm. So you'll eventually get to that point where you realize that anyway. But a lot of materialistic things that are available in the world, for example, I'm just gonna use an example for fast cars, right? Sometimes, it, you know, you can see it from two different perspectives. You can either be somebody who wants it to have a, a, an image, or you could be somebody who wants it to be able to take on a track and race, right? So depend, and, and, and the purpose that that materialistic thing will fill is the ple pleasure of driving fast, mm. right? And that's a thrill factor within an individual that they want to, they want to feel, right? Mm. They wanna have, because you know, that's, what, that's what everything is about. All the materialistic pleasures is about make, making you feel a certain type of way, yeah. right? Making you have that release of dopamine in your brain and serotonin in your brain where you feel you know, uplifted, you feel happy, energet energetic and in a good mood, right? So to an extent, chasing that purely for happiness, it would leave you to a point, lead you to a point where you realize that, okay, this is not bringing me happiness the way I thought it would be. And it would, it would eventually crumble on you. And hopefully you would learn from that. Mm. Whereas if you just continue pursuing that and you'll almost end up in a rat race that you're trying to ex escape, mm. you know, this rat race that you're trying to escape or living paycheck to paycheck, you'll end up getting into a position where you're just spending, you're just spending your money, your hard-earned, your hard-earned, you know, money just to chase a feeling. Yeah. And that will always end. But at the same time, you know, it, it, living in a nice place, you know, traveling in luxury and, you know, being a specific type of person, I think you change over time. Mm. You know, as you experience things, you know, certain things you... you you'd think that they'll make you happy. You'd yeah. think that they'll make you feel a certain type of way and in the moment they might, but you might, like I said, you'll come to a realization and is that you won't. Mm -hmm. And as you get older, as you start to look at things in a different type of way, things may change. Mm. Um, and like you said, you know, Elon Musk didn't come from a place of money, but I remember seeing a video of him ordering a McLaren, yeah. you know, getting a McLaren delivered. So maybe at that point in his life, he wanted to do that. But mm. as he matured and grew up and you know leveled up within his business, that want and desire for, for him it changed. Mm. So it's constantly, you know, it's a con it's a constant game of evolution as well for the man yeah. um and the woman to, you know, take time to understand what it is that, you know, happiness actually means to you. And then wealth only gives you the the it's a tool for you to be able to get whatever you want. Mm. Now it might not be a materialistic thing, it might be traveling the world, it might be, you know, building for the homeless and helping unfortunate and you know unfortunate in individuals and kids around the world but you need the wealth to be able to do that mm, mm. so whatever it may be you know the, the worldly pleasures um maybe they not they might not be worldly pleasures is that's from that's a different thing but mm. whatever it is you do need some sort of wealth to fulfill that yeah and if you don't have that in the first place even if you come from wealth and you don't have that it's almost like okay 
you and and then you ac- accumulate or inherit wealth and don't let it go to waste mm. you know do one thing or another yeah um or get or put it in a place where it's you know it's better utilized mm. it almost feels like um financial freedom is kind of um an ideological liberation from that that sort of kind of primordial desire for wealth you know the second you actually have the freedom to not think about money to not think about where the next meal's coming from allows you to consider ideas in different ways like uh, it makes me think of a uh, good old warren buffett um dude every day drives into his um you know high rise in new york and he just gets like a mcmuffin on the way in he just gets a mcmuffin he doesn't really you know he's been in the game so long he doesn't really have to eat at uh you know the most sophisticated place there's no posturing you know at that point you know he doesn't have to spend his money which i think is kind of a curious thing you know but you say, have to you, know, you have to see it from uh, you know how old is he mm, he's got do you know what i mean up in the 70s exactly mm. so he's doing that in his 60s 70s now mm. right so you have to see about you, you know you have to look at it from where you know where are they in the life maybe he's done everything and he's bored of it mm, mm. you know maybe he's 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 been in eight of the most sophisticated places that you could eat at and travel the world uh, in, in jets that you know that we haven't heard of mm. um so it's just like i said it just depends on where you are in your life and the position that you're in and what you know what what it means to you and what what specific things mean to you mm. um and and it's just about that because if if you're in a position where you can i think everybody would do something for the first time yeah right and they might continue to do it depending on how how much they enjoy it but mm. as they get to 50 60 70 even 40 as they get older as you get kids as you get more responsibilities things might change Mm. things might change you might find the pleasure in enjoying a muffin yeah you know o- over going out for a dinner because maybe you don't have the energy to do it mm. but when you're younger when you know when, when you have the energy to be in different places consistently and constantly maybe you you know you might want to get there quicker you might want to get there in style you might want to eat and, and take your friends and your people out to good places to eat and and all of that all of that materialistic stuff so it just depends on who you are and where you are where you're at in your life mm. it's not mm. a one you know it's not a one size uh fits all and you know compare it, it is good to see that you know how the rich are spending their money and how they're being wise with it but I don't think you should look look down or feel bad about your situation if you're doing anything differently. Yeah. Mm. So here's an interesting one. When you look at Elon Musk's lifestyle, like you say, he lives like I remember when the, when the headlines came out. He lives in basically a box, right? Yeah. He literally lives in almost like a one room yeah. flat. Like, um, could you ever see yourself doing that at that point? Uh, at, no. At some point, mm. no, definitely mm. not. Because personally, for me, it is about um, living this life I've got to the best of my potential, right? Mm. And I believe in my potential. And for me, there are certain things that I want to achieve for myself, right? Mm. For my family. And I I want to be in a certain level for the protection of my people. Mm. So Mm. I wouldn't do that because it puts a lot in jeopardy yeah living in a one living living in, in in a little box puts, puts too much at jeopardy and for me i want to keep my people close to me and i can't have everybody close to me in a little box oh of course um mm. so i wouldn't do that and then i mm. wouldn't personally for me i would never let myself get to a point where i'm constantly for the rest of my life just working yeah you know i want time to focus on the things that 
are important to me. Mm. Um, so no, I, I, what about yourself? Do you think you could do that? I don't know. I don't know. It depends on how much I get out, I suppose. Yeah. Um, it does seem a little bit, it seems, it almost seems a bit like posturing in itself, yeah, to be honest. Exactly. It does feel like um, he's, he's he wants people really badly to know how much he disdains wealth. Exactly. So he's taken steps to build the fucking thing, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Mm. So it's not it's not really necessary to be honest with you. Mm. You know, you don't need to live like. Why would you do that to yourself? You can live. You know, mm. if you have that much wealth, you can get a nice little house. Yeah. You know, yeah. Or, or something of a decent size. But everyone's different. You know, he's trying to get to Mars. He's trying to colonize Mars. Mm. Uh, Neuralink. They're trying to insert chips into the brain that fire neurons in um, places where you know your brain stopped functioning. So mm. that's a whole different ball game. Mm. Um, and to be doing those sort of sort of things, you do have to be a little bit crazy. And maybe that is a direct uh, influence of what he's trying to achieve. Maybe he has to be in a certain condition, um, living in a certain type of way to be able to focus because mm. what he's doing is, is, is crazy. So, um, but yeah, personally for me, no, I couldn't right. do that. That brings me on to an interesting point, actually, you know, this idea that Elon's posturing and good old Mr. Donald Trump and whatnot, the ego, the ego in the CEO, because I think to some extent, a level of self-importance is necessary because it does give you that confidence and it does give you that confidence to drive forward and push boundaries. But at what point does it become too much? You know, I think Trump sticking his name on the tower is a little bit tacky, a little bit excessive, uh, though it is good branding. Yeah. It is good advertising. <laughs> it does benefit him. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's just that every, that's just about your personal opinion. Mm. I think everyone's going to have a personal, different opinion. And for me, it's, I think Trump putting his name on a tower, I think is fine. Yeah. I, I don't think there's a big, if he's built that tower mm. with his money yeah. and he wants to put his name on it, I would not see that as, as him being egotistical. Mm. I see that as he's built a tower and he's named it after himself. Yeah. Good mm. on him. Fair mm. enough. Mm. And now, one thing I think actually, I think we've talked about this a bit before, like um, that that kind of that, would you say your big goal behind AIG to some extent behind the Angels Investment Group is this idea of protecting your people? Would you say that is kind of the virtue that drives not just you, but like the company? 100%, I was having this conversation yesterday. Mm. Um, and the thing is with that goal, it's, and I, for some reason, um, it's almost like the state of mind is always in survival mode. Mm. Um, and I think some people are just wired like that. Um, and it comes from your ancestry history, mm. um, you know, with what your ancestors have been through. That DNA is consistently being unlocked in your, in your body as you experience more situations mm. um that's how dna is unlocked mm. um and you always have that happening in your body as you experience and take on new challenges so for me i am constantly in survival mode mm. and i'm okay with that yeah and i think somebody has to play that role uh within my circle and i'm quite honored to play that role mm. of thinking mm. in that type of way um so yeah definitely i think that's where it comes from that mm. state mm. of being in survival mode uh, but at the same time, it isn't something that gets me, it, it isn't something that drags me down. It's something mm. that actually lifts me up. Mm. So, you know, allowing me to strive for more and better. Mm. I'm comfortable with it. Nice. It's like that thing. It's like um, the best way to get rid of the demons that chase you at night is to turn around and face them. Yeah. yeah. You know, and that's not a literal, 
that you know you can't take that for his literal word there's no demon chasing you in your night but the problems that you have the mistakes that you make and the issues that you you face and you know you you, you can't some, some nights you can't sleep and you're thinking about that and the, and you got a man up mm. you know you have to mm. think you know what i got to deal with this now i got yeah. to deal with the problem i got to deal with the mess mm. and i got to deal with whatever issue and situation it is and i have to get up in the morning and just crack on and just yeah. deal with it i think that's a, extremely important because um, even if you run from a problem, you can't, it will eventually catch you. Yeah, you can't 100%. get away from it. There is no, there almost is no running from a problem, really. Like, um, it's because it hasn't gone anywhere, really. Yeah. It doesn't go anywhere. You can run as far as you want, but you can never go back. Yeah, exactly. Know? Exactly. And you don't want to put yourself in that position where the problem keeps on compounding. Mm. And a mm. good <laughs> good way to look at it is if you get a parking ticket, yeah. you pay that 25, 30 pound. Yeah. And if you, you know, you might as well just get rid of it. And, mm. uh, you know, if it, if you leave it, it's going to keep com compounding yeah. and keeps getting higher and higher. And that's like, you know, it's like, it's like how your problems. And if you don't deal with them, they're just going to get bigger and bigger. And eventually mm. they're going to burst. And then you're going to be left in a ver worse situation than you would have been if you dealt with it straight away. Yeah. And I think that especially is key to the mindset of a CEO. Yeah. The ability to face the problems and deal with them as they come. You can't let them balloon. I mean, if you want to see them balloon, then take a look at 2008, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, they there were there were problems there and they knew there were problems there, but they just Well, that came from greed. That away. came from greed, you mm. know, that that issue that happened. Um mm. You know, it is almost about the fact that the people that were benefiting from it knew it was wrong, but they were making money and they didn't give a shit. Mm. They didn't really care. Yeah. And uh, it came from it came from a point of greed that that then problems kept getting bigger and bigger. Mm. And a lot of people were dumb enough not to actually look at what what was actually hap happening. Mm. Um, what's that movie? Big uh, Short. Big Short. Yeah. Mm. I fucking love. Yeah, yeah. That's a good movie. That's a mm. really really good movie. Mm. Uh, it's really one of the best movies there is. It really is. I yeah. mean, like in terms of a modern day film, you know, the 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 ideas that are unique to our culture, yeah. you know, it's um Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely excellent. absolutely yeah. excellent. And that's a very important thing, I think. Um accountability for the benefit of a society, if a company has to be the benefit of a society, you know, sometimes companies can get away with stuff, you know. A lot of people didn't go down for 2008. A lot yeah. of people that should have gone down didn't go down. And that's part of the reason why they didn't care about taking responsibility because they knew they could get away from it, which is why I think responsibility is a virtue, you know, the need to just take accountability and responsibility in your life, no matter what, you know, because it makes you feel good, because it makes you feel better as a person. That is an essential factor. You know? Yeah, and I mean, you know, in the corporate world, there's, al there's always going to be bad apples and sometimes there's more bad apples than good. Mm. Um, because... Like you said, money money has a significant impact on your mind. You've always heard that terminology that the biggest drug in the world is money. Um, and it does have an impact. It does make you addicted and it does make you, you know, get to a point where you need it to be able to fulfill your lifestyle, mm, which mm. is bringing you the pleasures that you, you know, that you want. And maybe that is bringing you happiness and that chase or whatever it may be. So it is, it is a drug you have to be very careful with. And if it does kind of fall into the wrong hands, and people do get greedy with it, which happens quite often. Mm. Um, it is just a matter of, it, it, you know, we've, we've seen through history, you know, the bubble always bursts. Mm. People do get away with it, but sometimes it's just something that you can't do. But ultimately, you know, you have to think about what what, what do you think on, on your deathbed by yourself? Yeah. You know, you can be proud of the decisions that you made, the accountability that you've took and the impact that you've had on other people. Mm. And if you've been somebody that's been in the situation where you made a decision that's impacted somebody to lose 
their home or their livelihood. Yeah. There's gonna be a time that comes in your life that you're gonna think about that and think, what the fuck have I done? Yeah. Um, or maybe not. Mm. Maybe, maybe maybe you might coast through life and not really yeah. care, but you know, you can't focus too much about how others feel. The best thing that you can do is not be that person mm. and make sure that you have access to enough information um, to be able to make the right decisions. For damn sure, for damn sure. And it is, um, it goes back to, or this leads into quite neatly, um, a point that's kind of been played around by Plato, Aristotle, and Socrates. Those are the big Greek three, the ancient Greek philosophers. Those three are the key guys. And one of the big things they're always trying to wrap their heads around with virtue and the common good and whatnot is justice, you know? Justice being this kind of thing that's difficult to lock down, but is ultimately a sort of equitable fairness, you know, that a society should be fair and just in how it treats its citizens. And this idea that someone should have a good understanding of justice playing into that idea of being a CEO, uh, you know, the p philosopher king, the CEO, this idea that you can accurately do you know, deal out justice when it has to be dealt, you know. And it comes down to this idea of equitable fairness, which is a good understanding of what is fair and what is just. And- Do you know what, like I said earlier, you know, this is something that if you do want to kind of implement in the world and if you do want to see a world and a society that's, you know, has cooperations with leaders that think like this, it's something that you have to implement in the youth, mm. you know, in the, in the upcoming generations. And then secondly, you know, you have the legal system there as well for a reason. Yeah. And they are taught about what's right and what's wrong, what's mm. legal, what isn't. And to an extent, the laws that are made, they are, you know, put forward and agreed on by the elected party which the public chooses mm. so ultimately that society and that system is working right and not everyone's mm. going to be happy with you know whoever it is that's making the decisions but mm. we, we, we're in a bit of a you know a bit of a state right now where it's, it's almost like yeah you know what it is okay things are happening like that but at the same time there's still a lot of injustice that's going on mm. and i think it'll be very very difficult to actually witness a leader where it is all great and good and they just think about the people and the mm. benefit of the people because a good lifestyle to person a will become might be completely different to person b mm. right somebody might have the um the viewpoint of the fact that i don't know a certain kind of information accessible to children is okay where mm. another individual might think a certain amount of information accessible to children is not okay, mm. right? And then the leader is like, who do you pick? Yeah. Right? So it, you'll never be in a position where everybody's happy because that's that's completely impossible because we're all different people, right? Mm. We have different ide ideas of what's right and what's wrong. Um, but even with those, you know, f philosophers, um, it is a matter of the fact that you know, their ideology has been passed down and the best way to actually put that forward and have that influence is to make people understand the knowledge so then they can treat other people in that certain type of way. Mm. Like the CEOs and the leaders of the world do have some sort of influence on how society is. But at the end of the day, the way a society is, is how you act towards other people. Yeah. You know, the rules and regulation can be in place, but the way you are as, as one, as a unit to other people around you, that's important. 
And the way you can actually implement that ideology of the philosophers, I think, would be from educating people so that treat their common fellow um, in that in that way. And that's how you'd actually achieve that, rather than trying to get one person who has that mindset to make decisions on behalf of everybody to keep everybody happy, to have rules and regulations in place to keep everybody happy. That's not going to happen. Mm. You know, a CEO, they're going to every CEO is going to have a different mindset, a different mentality. They're going to care about different things. It's not going to happen. So the best thing that you can do is put the message forward of this philosophy of how you should behave as a man, woman, you know, child, so that you can actually treat your people around you in that type of way and create that happiness and that, that level of freedom um, where people are comfortable around you. I completely agree. Yeah. I completely agree that to some extent, philosophy should have a place within youth, younger education. Yeah, I think exactly. it absolutely should. I think that's where the problem is. Yeah. Um, the fact that there is no place of philosophy within the younger generation and peop and, and, and the youth and, you know, when I say youth, it could be anyone in education, right? Mm. I'm mostly just taught to study for and learn the, you know, learn about the things that are going to make them money. Mm. Everything's just about money. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they're not really taught about how you can live in harmony and what is the correct way to do it. But then that comes down to who's going to make the decision on what's the right syllabus to be taught. Mm. So it's all a bit of a, you know, a bit of a, uh, a hit and miss mm. um, because th there's a lot of people involved in making the decisions that affect, you know, the future gen generations. So, mm. You know, hopefully, like I said, there are a lot of, there are good apples where they do implement that and then do start teaching people about this kind of information. But luckily for us now, us having a conversation about this, somebody sees it, says, speaks, speaks about it to someone else, does their own research on it and the message spreads like that. Mm. So from our perspective, we're doing our part. Yeah. And, you know, the, right now there's so much information that's accessible and if you are going to put something out there we might as well make it interesting and mm. make it you know beneficial yeah to, to a point where it's actually gonna have a good impact on society even if one person sees it mm. and ultimately the big irony of plato's philosopher king is that if plato were alive today and you brought him the greatest best possible candidate he ticks every single box, a love of philosophy, a desire for a simple life, disdain of wealth. If you found the most best personification of this kind of individual, he would not be the philosopher king because philosoph the philosopher king is an aspiration to reach. It, it can never be defined because the second it's defined, then it can be surpassed. And the second it can be surpassed, it can't be aspired to. So in that sense, Plato with his idea, no one can ever truly be that philosopher king, can truly hit that level. Because the second you hit that level, then there's no reason you should aspire to the virtues that created the philosopher king. You know, the idea that nothing is ever good enough can actually be, as long as you have those spaces to not beat yourself up too badly and feel good about yourself, it can actually be a very good thing, you know. The idea that you're always aspiring to something beyond yourself, that is what will keep society at a place where people can be free and people can pursue the things they want to do, you know. The second you live in a society with absolute truths, where there are absolute gods, and you know, there is a place, there, are a, there is a place where there are absolute gods, perfect rulers, North Korea, you know, you North Korea. 
in the sense that they will that's what they tell their people yeah you know they say these things have been met so they will never be questioned so they can live in an endless cycle right. of control yeah. without freedom yeah. you know if something's too good to be true it is too good to be yeah. true yeah. and if something's too good to be true on the societal level then somebody's enforcing it yeah. you know and they're 100%. enforcing it most likely through violence yeah. so the idea that nothing's ever good enough is actually going to give you the more free society, the better society, the society where people have more and they can enjoy more. Yeah. But it does come down to you have to have that self-confidence within yourself to appreciate things. Yeah, 100%. You know? So, you know, if there, there, there can never be a philosopher king, but there can be the idea of a, of a philosopher king, which is the most important part about the whole philosophical concept. 100%, you know? I agree. Mm. Perfect. I think that's a good point to leave it at. I think that's a good point to end it at. Yeah, that's but been good, man. Always a pleasure, my friend. Yeah, you And too. of course, this is episode two of Return of Philosophy. We will be back within a week, two weeks, and we will be continuing our discussion on how we can bring old ideas into the new to tackle modern problems. Stay tuned, folks. Thank you.